Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you all very much for showing up. So I'm very excited about this particular episode of Money Concepts. And that is because we are going to be talking about something that is not talked about very often. So I listen to a lot of podcasts on investing and uh, I read a lot of books and uh, I go through the Wall Street Journal regularly and, and so on. But usually, uh, there is not a whole lot of attention that is paid to analyzing things like stock-based compensation, the effect on investors' returns, uh, how, how does it impact buyback decisions at companies, things like that. And uh, this is a very important part of investment returns. So... Uh, the stock buyback policies that a company has, uh, how much stock it issues and gives away to executives as stock-based compensation every year. Uh, these things can have a big role to play in determining investor returns. So if you go and buy this company at a particular price today what and hold it forever, uh, what are your returns going to be in the future? Uh, that depends a lot on to what extent you are being continuously diluted by the company because of stock-based compensation. Uh, so in, in this episode, I want to uh, talk about the fundamental concepts. Uh, there are just a few simple concepts here, but if we understand them, uh, we can analyze companies much better. Uh, so uh, let, let's first talk about why companies decide to uh, do stock-based compensation or SBC. Um, the, the stated reason why most companies like uh, to give their executives or pay their executives in stock uh, is to align executives' interest with those of owners. So um, people who go out and buy shares in the company, investors, shareholders like you and me, uh, we are the owners of the company and um, there are these managers and CEOs uh, and CFOs and other executives at the company who work at the company, who are running the day-to-day -day operations of the company. And we want these people to think like owners, think like us when they make decisions because the decisions they make uh, are going to impact our returns in the company. And so the thought process is, if we make these guys owners, if we make the CEO uh, owner of the stock, if we give stock to senior executives in the company, then it gives them a certain amount of skin in the game. And so they, when they make decisions at the company, uh, they will think like owners. And so uh, in their own uh, self-interest, the kinds of decisions that they make will also end up benefiting owners because the incentives are aligned. At least that is the theory behind paying employees in stock. Uh, now, how well does that theory work in practice? Well, it varies across the board. So in some companies, uh, managers, they are uh, really highly aligned with shareholders and it works well. In other companies, not so much um, because stock-based compensation can create lots of perverse incentives as well. So I'll, I'll give you a simple example. So 
sometimes what happens is uh, executives may be awarded stock based on uh, earnings per share it is very very common to say okay if this company grows earnings per share by say 10% in the next year or something like that the ceo will get 1 million more shares in as compensation uh now uh, does this really make a ceo think like an owner of the company well um, the ceo does not get any shares in this particular situation the ceo does not get any shares if uh, earnings per share doesn't grow by 10% but if earnings per share grows by 10% the ceo ends up uh, getting a boatload of shares and so uh, it is the ceo's it is in the ceo's interest to do whatever he can to boost this earnings per share number uh, by more than the threshold uh, 10% so what the ceo may end up doing uh, is he may say okay let me buy back shares in the market uh, so let me go uh, do a bunch of stock buybacks and retire shares so that will push the number of shares down and so earnings per share will go up uh, so what the ceo has done is uh, he has uh, uh, sort of gone ahead and uh, done some buybacks and uh, these buybacks may not make a whole lot of sense from the standpoint of a continuing owner a continuing shareholder because the shares may be overpriced but still these buybacks may help the ceo get his earnings per share target it may help the ceo meet his earnings per share target and so that will unlock a new level of compensation for the ceo and so in this particular case uh, this is an example where uh, the shareholder interests and the ceo's interests are not exactly aligned with one another uh, even though the ceo uh, is getting a whole bunch of shares as compensation so stock based compensation may or may not align management's incentives uh, with that of shareholders uh another common reason why companies like to do uh give out uh, stock as compensation is simply because they can't afford the cash so if you take small companies companies that uh, recently went public uh they may be uh spending a lot of cash on operating expenses they may not be profitable yet uh they may be spending a lot of money to acquire customers uh, to develop new products to get the word out to advertise so they have a lot of demands on the cash uh, that they have at their disposal so they have only a limited amount of cash so they try to reduce cash outflows as much as possible and one way to reduce cash outflows is to pay your employees in stock instead of in cash and so a lot of companies uh, particularly newer companies that uh, don't have a whole lot of cash they may decide to uh, pay uh, uh, to make a significant proportion of their employees pay in they may decide to make it in stock instead of in cash so that is another very common reason why companies pay in stock instead of in cash uh, and the third uh, reason why uh, companies do this is uh, for tax savings so um, it, it turns out that if you structure your stock based compensation practices in a particular way uh, then any anything that you can claim as an expense is something that you can reduce from your revenues while paying taxes 
so in this particular case stock based compensation uh, it is an expense so you can claim that as an expense and so uh, not uh, reduce your taxable income by whatever you claim that uh, whatever amount you claim sbc at uh, but then uh, you don't actually end up spending cash because you just issue shares and give it to your employees so this is like a way to reduce your tax liability without actually incurring a tax a cash cost so this is another common reason tax reasons uh, why companies like to pay their employees in stock instead of in cash uh, now of course tax laws are very complicated across the board uh, so this uh, may not work out exactly like this so every dollar that the company claims as stock based expensation uh, a stock based compensation uh, may not be uh, an expense for tax purposes and so on but generally speaking uh, if you have a lot of stock based compensation you do have a tax advantage and for some companies the, that tax advantage can be fairly substantial so these are the three broad reasons why companies engage in uh, sbc so the first thing is to try and incentivize senior executives to think like owners the second reason is they simply can't afford cash so they pay their employees in stock and the third reason is uh, they try to achieve some tax savings by paying employees in stock instead of in cash um now once you've decided that you want to pay your employees in stock once a company has decided that it wants to do some stock based compensation oh, there are a number of ways they can do it so uh, some common ways are they they can do it through options stock options they can do it through rsus restricted share units uh, they can do something called sars which is uh, stock appreciation rights uh, some companies also have employee stock purchase plans and things like that where they allow employees to buy shares at a cheaper price than what the market uh, what the shares are trading at the market for things like this uh the two main types though of uh, stock based compensation are options and rsus so um what what is an option and what is an rsu well a stock option um is a is essentially a right that companies give to their senior executives and this right allows the executive to go and buy shares from the company for a particular price so let, let's say apple is trading at uh, some something like uh, $130 a share today something like that $130 uh now apple might say okay i'm going to give tim cook an option uh, to buy say 1 million shares of apple at $130 uh, any time between now and 1 year from now say uh so now tim cook has this right uh, to buy shares of apple at 130 uh for the next one year so that is a stock option that tim cook has uh now if apple stock uh between now and a year from now uh let's say apple finishes the year at 200 a share then tim cook has a lot of valuable rights he's got this right to buy apple shares at 130 dollars 
but the stock itself is trading for $200 in the market. So what Tim Cook will do is he will go and exercise this right to buy shares. Uh, and then depending on the provisions in that uh, stock option, um, which the board of directors of Apple approved, he may be able to sell those shares right away or he, there may be a lockup period or something like that. Uh, but essentially what Tim Cook can do is he can pay $130 per share to acquire shares that are actually worth $200. Now, it cuts both ways. Suppose uh, one year from now, uh, Apple shares are trading at only $100 a share. So today they are at 130, they've gone to 100. Uh, then Tim Cook's options are not worth anything at all. So they simply expire worthless. And so uh, Tim, Tim Cook is not going to exercise those options. He will just forfeit those options. That is also possible. Uh, so that is stock options. So with stock options, there is the chance that the employee may end up getting some compensation out of it. There is also the chance that the options end up expiring worthless. And so the employee doesn't get compensated at the end of the day. So this is one common kind of stock-based compensation. Uh, the other kind, which is much simpler, is just to issue shares of Apple and give it to Tim Cook. So um, let's say Apple, Apple issues 100,000 shares of Apple and just give it to Tim Cook. So uh, this is called a restricted share unit. Why is it restricted? Because they may impose some conditions. They may say, uh, look, Tim Cook will give you these 100,000 shares right now, but you may not be able to sell them right away or some, something like that. Uh, so uh, that, that is a much simpler way. Uh, instead of giving Tim Cook the right to go and buy these shares at a later date, just uh, issue some shares and give it to him right now. So that uh, is, is the second way of doing it. Uh, so these are the two main ways of... Uh, uh, going about a stock-based compensation plan. Um, then there is also the mechanics of how uh, SBC works in practice. Uh, so usually, uh, before a company can give stock, uh, uh, before it can compensate employees in stock, uh, the board of directors has to approve uh, any sizable stock grants and things like that. Uh, so what the board of directors will do is they will have some kind of meeting uh, where they discuss the stock option plan for the company, uh, stock options or RSUs or whatever, and they will up approve this plan. And once they approve this plan, executives will be granted a certain amount of stock or a certain uh, number of options and, and so on. So this is called the grant phase. So this is the first phase of stock-based compensation, where the board of directors approves the, the plan and then uh, grants the executives stock or options. So this is the, uh, this is granting. Uh, that is the first stage. Uh, then there is typically when, when stock options are, uh, or uh, shares are granted, uh, they're not given to the employees right away. So there is a period of time called vesting. So a company might, uh, for example, Apple might say, uh, tell Tim Cook, look, we'll give you 100,000 shares of Apple, but we won't give them to you right away. Uh, we'll give them to you over the next three years. So we'll give you 33,000 shares uh, this year. Uh, we'll give you 33,000 shares next year and so on. So in this case, what is happening is that uh, this, uh, these 100,000 shares 
which are which were granted today will only be uh, given to tim cook will will only be vested over the next 3 years and sometimes there are conditions attached to vesting as well so for example apple might say we'll give you these shares but only if apple's revenues grow at 10% per year over the next 3 years if they don't grow at 10% per year then you're not eligible to get these shares something like that uh, so so there can be conditional vesting based on performance uh, there can be vesting based on just the passage of time so as long as tim cook doesn't resign from apple he gets those shares uh, and so on so stock options and uh, other kinds of spc uh, you you can make the rules for vesting as complicated as you like and lots of companies uh, uh, hire compensation cons- consultants and all that and make uh, very complicated rules about uh, precisely under what conditions uh, employees actually end up getting the stock and under what conditions employees don't end up getting the stock so uh, that's the second stage vesting so the first stage is granting the second stage is vesting uh the third stage is actually exercising so uh suppose apple gives tim cook an option uh to buy say uh, 100000 shares of apple now uh the 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 option may vest over the next 3 years but um, so, and and 3 years later tim cook may find himself eligible uh to get these 100000 shares of apple to exercise his option but he may not exercise it right away he may say Uh, i'll just keep it as an option and then exercise it over the course of uh, the next one year or something like that so uh, that that is also possible so um, in in a lot of cases the the date on which uh, an employee exercises the option and the date on which the option vests are the same but they need not be the same so the uh, option may vest at a particular date and then the employee may decide to exercise that option at a later date so that's the third um, uh, stage of the process which is exercising so typically these are the three uh, stages there's granting there is vesting and then there is exercising now uh, as i said uh, there is also a fourth uh, stage which is possible which is for feature so uh, if the employee does not meet the conditions for stock based compensation or uh, if if uh, if the employee resigns and leaves the company or something like that he may uh, end up forfeiting uh, these options so that that is also possible or if the stock price of the company uh, and finishes the period at less than the strike price of the option uh, then the option is not exercised the option just expires worthless and in that case uh, the employee has again forfeited uh, his his right uh, to exercise uh, the option so th- these are all uh, the mechanics of how stock based compensation works uh, within public companies uh, then there is the question of okay how do we account for this so uh, when when a company has a stock based compensation plan for its employees uh, it has to somehow show up on the financial statements of the company so the balance sheet has to reflect it the income statement has to reflect it and so on so uh, how is this stock based compensation accounted for now uh, accounting for uh, stock based compensation is ridiculously complicated so there are uh, you, you can read hundreds and hundreds of pages about uh, 
how these options are uh, accounted for and still you may not appreciate every single detail uh, so so uh, accounting is very complicated but there are there are some general principles uh, so one general principle is usually what happens is on the day the board of directors grants the option uh the value of the option the either options or rsus the value of the stock grant is determined on that day so uh if a stock is very volatile and the uh, board of directors grants uh, an option to the ceo to buy shares at a particular price uh then the value of that option will be high uh generally speaking uh the more volatile the stock uh, the more valuable the option because uh, if you have a stock that can uh, that can either go to 200 or then or go to 100 uh, it, it it's a volatile stock and so the right to buy it at 100 is pretty valuable uh, whereas if you have a stock that doesn't grow very much it's uh, fairly steady then uh, the the right to buy it at 100 may not be as valuable so uh, typically what happens is on the day the board of directors grants the option uh they try to determine the value of this option uh and a lot of inputs go into uh, determining this value so this value is called the fair value and uh, there are a lot of inputs that go into how this value is determined so uh, for example they may consider the volatility of the stock they may consider uh, the expected dividends that the stock is going to pay uh they they may look at the risk free interest rate uh, that is available in the market and so on a lot of parameters go into uh, uh, judging what the value is uh, so it's a very uh, judgment call based uh, it, it's it's not a per- perfect science how to value stock options how to value uh, the stock based compensation uh but generally what the board of directors does is uh, on, on the day of the grant uh they they assign a particular value say 1 billion dollars is the value of the option that we've given tim cook today some something like that uh but then this 1 billion dollars which is a cost to apple because it is compensation that they are giving tim cook it's not recognized as a cost right away it's not going to show up on the income statement of right away it's going to show up on the income statement over a period of time and that is as and when tim cook vests these options so um, typically if uh, the options are granted today and they vest over the next 3 years or something like that then this year's income statement uh, may may show only one third of the value of the options so if uh, if the options are let, let's say apple decides that the options are worth 150 million dollars or whatever uh then 50 million may show up in the income statement this year 50 million may show up in the income statement next year and and so on because these options vest over a 3 year period and not right away so that that is the general principle behind how these uh, uh options and stock based compensation is accounted for you decide what the value is uh based on uh b- based on information that you have available with you on the date of the grant but then you actually uh, hit your income statement with a cost only over the period uh, during which the stock based compensation vests 
so that that is an important concept to understand so just because a company grants an executive a lot of stock today doesn't mean that it's going to show up in the income statement tomorrow it may show up it may not even show up in this year's income statement. It may show up only in next year's income statement, for all you know. So so there are these subtleties to be aware of. And there is a lot of judgment that goes into uh, how to decide what the cost uh, to put on the income statement is. Uh, so is, is an option worth $50 million or is it worth $100 million? Well, that is a judgment that the company makes. And there are rules about what what they should do uh, to make this judgment call. So there are complicated procedures based on the Black-Scholes method for evaluating options. Uh, there is also uh, binomial lattices and things like that. Uh, the, there, is, there is a whole um, a set of financial papers and uh, there, there, there are entire books written about how to value options and so on. So um, typically what companies do is they pick a method uh, um, and then they hope that uh, over a period of time, their accounting for stock options uh, more or less accurately reflects the true cost of giving these stock options to their senior employees and, and so on. But it's not a perfect science. And so just because you see a line item on the income statement saying, uh, okay, stock-based compensation this year accounted for $1 billion of expenses, it doesn't mean the expenses are exactly 1 billion or anything like that. It doesn't mean the cost to investors is 1 billion. This is just uh, an estimate. This is the best estimate that the company can make at this point in time. So you have to take that with a, with a grain of salt. Um, so let's talk about the effect of, of stock-based compensation on various uh, financial statements. So on the income statement, it's very straightforward. So there is a cost. So just as a company has cost of goods sold and uh, uh, selling general administrative research and development, there are all these cost uh, items that are reported on the income statement. So uh, stock-based compensation will be a part of these different things. So for example, if you take selling general and administrative, uh, now if, if you have um, say uh, 20 uh, salespeople and you pay them uh, 50% in cash and 50% in stock or something like that, then 50% uh, of that stock, 50% uh, of the selling general and administrative SG&A expenses will be uh, a stock cost and 50% will be a cash cost. So um, the income statement may not clearly break it down saying this much is stock and this much is cash. They may just lump the two together and tell you that SG&A expenses are $100 million or whatever, but 50 million of those uh, expenses might, 50 million of that 100 million might be stock and 50 million might be uh, in cash. Uh, there are other companies, uh, that, there, there are some companies like Facebook, for example, where uh, they actually make it very explicit. How much is stock-based compensation? And how much is cash? Uh, so they actually break it down on their income statement very explicitly. And um, so it's it's nice to read uh, a company's income statement where the company goes through the trouble of breaking down for investors what part of the expenses that they claimed on the income statement is is in cash and what part is due to stock-based compensation. Uh, so that's how uh, the income statement gets hit, just uh, by a bunch of costs. Uh, 
how does the balance sheet get hit? So this is an interesting uh, uh, little nugget here because um, typically when you pay an employee, uh, if, if you pay an employee $1,000 in cash, uh, then that $1,000 will get reduced from the assets of the company. So if the, if the company previously had $100,000 of cash, now they have $99,000 because they've taken $1,000 and given it to this employee. So normally, whenever there is a cost, what's going to happen is the assets uh, side of the company's balance sheet will reduce by that cost. So, um, so stock-based compensation is also a cost, uh, but it's interesting in that usually there is no effect on the assets side of the balance sheet uh, because this is a, a the, the company hasn't actually incurred a cash cost when they give uh, when they pay employees and stock. So what um, instead of the assets side of the balance sheet reducing, what typically happens is that the liabilities and shareholders equity, that side ends up increasing. So typically the line item that ends up getting affected by stock-based compensation is this line called additional paid-in capital. So if if Apple um, g- gave Tim Cook, uh, say, uh, $100,000 worth of a- options or something like that, or $100,000 worth of Apple stock, what happens is additional paid-in capital usually increases by $100,000. And, and uh, that, that, that is the way it is accounted for on the balance sheet. Uh, because if you, if you think about it, um, wh- what are all the assets that Apple had before giving Tim Cook this, uh, this stock grant? And what are all the assets that Apple had after giving Tim Cook this uh, stock grant? Nothing has really changed. Apple has just printed a bunch of shares out of thin air and given it to Tim Cook. So all the assets that they previously had, they still have those assets. It's not like just because they gave Tim Cook the stock, uh, their assets have gone down. Whereas if they gave Tim Cook cash, yes, the cash asset would have gone down. So instead of being reflected on the asset side, uh, it's it's reflected on the liabilities and stockholders' equity, that, that the other side of the balance sheet. Uh, the third most important uh, effect is on the cash flow statement. Uh, so typically what happens is in the cash flow statement, you take net income and then you add all the non-cash costs back to net income. So for example, depreciation is a non-cash cost. Uh, so what happens is um, in order to f- um, reconcile what is the change, what, what is net income and what is the change in cash? So normally when a company makes $100 million of net income, it does not usually mean that cash in the company has gone up by $100 million. So cash could have gone up by more than $100 million. Cash could have gone up by less than $100 million. Cash could have even gone down while a company claims that it made $100 million in net income. And that is a, a big part of that is because of non-cash costs. So depreciation, for example, is a non-cash cost. And so... Uh, Anything that is a non-cash cost has to be added back to net income to get the change in cash. So stock-based compensation happens to be a non-cash cost. So what companies do is they take stock-based compensation and then they add it back to net income uh, to get cash flow from operations. So what happens is cash flow from operations will be uh, will be higher by the amount of stock-based compensation. So if a, if a company paid, uh, if Apple paid Tim Cook 
say, $100 million worth of uh, stock-based compensation, uh, net income uh, would have gone down by $100 million because that $100 million is considered as a cost while calculating Apple's net income. But cash flow from operations has not gone down by uh, uh, $100 million. Uh, the, the, the reason is because net income uh, net income is incremented by the stock-based compensation. So, um, and th- this, this effect also carries forward to free cash flow. So, um, if, if you look at free cash flow of Apple, if Apple gave um, uh, Tim Cook $100 million of stock-based compensation, uh, what's going to happen is free cash flow uh, will be higher by 100 million, even though net income will not be higher by 100 million. So if you just look at the free cash flow of a lot of companies, uh, they may be very good. But uh, if you actually go and analyze why the free cash flow is so high, a lot of it may simply be because um, of stock-based compensation. Uh, so so uh, companies that are actually generating um, cash uh, if if you if you look at free cash flow and take out the stock based compensation part of it uh, it may not be all that impressive so this is an effect that we have to be aware of so we shouldn't just look at free cash flow uh, we have to look at free cash flow per share because if a lot of shares are continuously being granted and given to executives, um, free cash flow may be high, but free cash flow per share may not be all that high uh, or may not grow that fast. So that is uh, an effect that uh, we will see on our investment returns. So if, if we take, um, so, so let, let's, let's examine in a little bit of detail uh, how our investment returns will be affected. So let, let's take a very simple example. Let's say a company makes $1 million per year. And for the moment, let's not consider any stock-based compensation. So let's say this company has 1 million shares outstanding and they make $1 million per year. So that is $1 per share they are making right now. And let's say this $1 million that they make per year, let's say that grows at 10% every year forever, right? So right now they are making $1 per share. So next year, they'll be making $1.10 per share simply because their 1 million uh, of income would have grown to 1.1 million. And the number of shares does not change because there is no stock-based compensation. And so if you pay something like a price-to-earnings ratio of 20, say, for this particular company, uh, right now, they make $1 per share. So a uh, price-to-earnings ratio of 20, you, you'll be paying $20 per share to acquire uh, this company. Now, um, usually, uh, if, if, you, if you imagine that this $1 per share is uh, given as a dividend to you every year. So what, what this company does is uh, it takes the $1 per share and gives it to you as a dividend. Next year, it will give you a dividend of $1.10 per share and so on. So uh, the, the dividend is initially $1 per share, but it's going to grow at 10% per year forever. Um, so if you take uh, your cash flows as an investor, so initially there is a $20 uh, cost that you have to pay to acquire shares of this company. But then 
once you pay this $20 and acquire shares of this company, uh, you, you will get $1 after one year, $1.10 after two years, and so on. And so what happens is uh, the current yield is about 5%. Why? Because it's $1 uh, per share and uh, the stock price is $20. So $1 divided by $20, that's 5%. So the current yield is 5% plus there is a 10% growth rate. So if you add the current uh, yield to the growth rate, that gives you your long-term investment returns. So the 5% current yield plus the 10% growth rate that's a 15% rate of return. So if you buy this stock and if you hold it forever, you never sell the stock, you just buy it for $20 a share and then hold it forever, uh, your IRR, your internal rate of return will be 15% per year. So this is a standard straightforward calculation. Now, what happens to this calculation if there is stock-based compensation? So typically the effect that we see when we get stock-based compensation is that the number of shares in the company will keep increasing over time. So as uh, Apple keeps issuing uh, new shares and gives it to Tim Cook, as Tesla keeps issuing shares and uh, giving them to Elon Musk, the number of shares uh, outstanding keeps increasing. And so the portion of earnings or cash flows or assets or any of the company's um, uh, any, any of the company's uh, cash flows that are attributable to a single share will keep decreasing because the cash flows have to be shared among more and more shares. So if you look at this particular company uh, that we have, let's say they make the same $1 million this year. Uh, but then every year what they do is they issue 3% uh, of, of their shares outstanding and give it to the CEO as compensation. So uh, this year they have 1 million shares. Next year they will have uh, 1.03 million shares and, and so on. So uh, now uh, if the company makes $1 million and gives it uh, to all its shareholders, shareholders will get $1 per share. Uh, but next year, what is going to happen is... Uh, the company will make 1.1 million, but there will be 1.03 million shares outstanding. So this 1.1 million dollars that the company makes is not going to be divided among 1 million shares. It is going to be divided among 1.03 million shares. And so uh, each individual share will get less than what it would have got if there were no stock-based compensation. So if you uh, run this scenario. So initially the company makes $1 million per year. It has 1 million shares outstanding. Each year, the 1 million shares keeps growing by 3% per year. And each year, the $1 million of profit, that keeps growing at 10% per year. So if you do this calculation, it turns out that if you look at the dividends per share that the company will pay out to shareholders, uh, that dividend, the dividend per share, it no longer grows at 10%. In the previous case, it grew at 10% because the number of shares was steady. But now, because the number of shares keeps growing, the dividends per share, they grow only at 6.8%. They don't grow at uh, 10%. And so, uh, the return that an investor will get will be only 11.8%. Uh, because you have to add the steady state, which is... Uh, uh, the uh, the 5% the uh, initial yield 
to the 6.8% growth and you get 11.8% return. So without stock-based compensation, this company was able to return 15% to owners. But with stock-based compensation, because the number of shares keeps increasing over time, uh, owners are left with just 11.8% return. And this is really the crux of why stock-based compensation reduces returns to investors. Simply because as the number of shares keeps increasing, the share of cash flows available uh, per share uh, keeps decreasing. So uh, that, that is uh, uh, an important thing for investors to understand. So when in doubt, uh, calculate free cash flow and earnings and all these things calculate on a per share basis rather than just calculating it uh, for the company as a whole. Because uh, as an investor, your returns will be determined based on free cash flow per share and not uh, uh, the total free cash flow of all the shares outstanding. Uh, now, finally, uh, the final piece of the puzzle is uh, when uh, companies do buybacks. Now, a lot of companies, uh, they spend billions of dollars each year doing stock buybacks. Uh, so Microsoft and Apple and all, all these companies, uh, they, 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 they spend enormous amounts of money, tens of billions of dollars buying back stock. But what they do is on the side, they also create new shares and give it to employees as stock-based compensation. So now what's happening is on the one hand, the number of shares is increasing because uh, new shares are being created every day and given to employees. But on the other hand, the number of shares keep decreasing because uh, these new shares and uh, other shares in the market are being continuously bought back uh, by stock-based uh, uh, as a result of the uh, share buyback programs that the company has. So um, now the number of shares uh, as a result may remain steady over time because the two effects may cancel out each other. So stock-based compensation and buybacks may end up canceling out each other. And so the number of shares may be steady. But uh, now what you have to uh, understand as an investor is that you're not seeing any of the return that the company is making because the company may make $1 billion every year and then spend that $1 billion on buybacks. And then the company will uh, come out with a grand uh, press release saying, this year we return $1 billion back to shareholders. Uh, but then that $1 billion simply went to offset dilution. Uh, so in the in the end, the uh, the, the sh shareholders may may not end up making any money at all for a very long time, simply because uh, these two effects just cancel each other out. Uh, so companies like this are best avoided. Uh, if if their stock based compensation is so high that every dollar of uh, free cash flow has to go uh, to buybacks uh, just to keep the share level, uh, the number of shares steady not to reduce the number of shares but just to keep it steady then investors are not seeing any return out of it so what i like to calculate is okay how much uh, money did the company spend on uh, buybacks and how many shares were actually retired as a result of these buybacks so uh, if if a company spent one billion dollars on uh, buybacks but it turns out that the number of shares that got 
retired, uh, if you look at uh, how many shares were outstanding at the end of last year, how many shares are outstanding at the end of this year, if the shares that were retired are worth only half a billion, say, then the other half a billion, where has it gone? It's just gone to offset dilution. So that other half a billion should not be counted as free cash flow for investors because it's not available for investors. It just went to offset uh, the effect of stock-based compensation. Uh, so this this is how I, I like to do the calculations. So uh, I, I like to figure out what per share returns are going to be um, after accounting for uh, the dilution that is created by stock-based compensation. And if there is no dilution, because that dilution is being masked by buybacks, then I look at how much of the buybacks go to retire shares and how much of the buybacks uh, go to simply offset stock-based compensation. So uh, this gives me an idea of what my long-term returns are going to be uh, from buying this stock. Uh, so finally, um, how much stock-based compensation is okay for a company to have? So if you look at a company like Berkshire, for example, they have almost zero stock-based compensation. But there are very, very few companies like that. So Warren Buffett, uh, almost every share of Berkshire that he bought, he bought it uh, out of his own, um, by, by, by investing his own money into it. He bought it on the open market. And if you look at Ajit Jain, uh, the, the guy who runs insurance operations at, at Berkshire, uh, almost every share that he got, uh, he was not given those shares uh, by uh, as a result of stock-based compensation or an, anything like that. Almost every share that he got, he actually bought it on the open market. Uh, so companies like Berkshire, they have zero stock-based compensation almost. And, uh, well, most companies are not like that. They, they tend to have some amount of stock-based compensation. So how much is okay and how much is excessive? So this is a judgment that each investor has to make for themselves. Um, so I, I like to look at the notes to the uh, consolidated financial statements. So typically in the notes, uh, they will tell you uh, each stage of this uh, uh, stock-based compensation that I explained. So how many options or RSUs or SARs, how, how many of these were granted uh, each year? How many of them were vested? how many of them were exercised and how many of them were forfeited. So all these numbers will be available if you look at the notes to the consolidated financial statements. And typically I look at the grant number. So uh, how many shares are being granted to executives every year? And is that grant number reasonable? So what do I mean by reasonable? Typically I like to see uh, less than um, half a percent. So if, if you have a, if the company has 100 million shares outstanding, so 1% is 1 million shares. So half a percent is about 500,000 shares. So if a company has 100 million shares outstanding, I don't like to see more than 500,000 shares uh, being granted to executives uh, as stock-based compensation. That is a rough rule of thumb that I use. But then as I said, uh, typically with uh, large and mature companies, uh, this grant number will be uh, reasonably low. But for young companies that are typically uh, strapped, they don't have cash, they have to pay their executives in stock, this number may be higher. And so each investor has to sort of decide on what threshold uh, they are willing to accept. 
so but my general rule of thumb is less than half a percent uh so i'm sorry if i kept uh, rambling on and on uh, so the, these are all the main concepts that we need to know with regard to stock based compensation dilution and buybacks um so i'll uh, be happy to take callers now uh, looks like we we do have a caller oh. ricardo hello thank you hey. good afternoon afternoon um okay thanks for doing this topic um like you said at the beginning it's a topic that has not been covered um much and i'm glad for you taking the time to basically educate me and on this topic i i um always wondered about the compensation and how it's done by different companies one of the thing that always puzzles me is that um we do have companies and the top executives do not have as you said skin in the game where they have any significant holding in in the company the other thing that i find um i wouldn't say strange but concerning is that you may have the ceo saying how solid a company is yet the top executive not having any shares in the company and also are are, are minimal and the other thing is the stock price might be so undervalued you know i always ask the question why are these executives not uh, gobbling up these shares at these very low um valuation so right um so um i don't know if you have a comment on this but thanks again for this education well very, very educational topic um he okay. give me motivation to read some more about this oh absolutely so i i have just a couple of comments so when you take a look at how many shares the ceo owns or um, how many shares senior executives own in a company uh they they may not own too much simply because uh they were not granted enough shares or they may not own too much because they were granted uh shares as stock based compensation and then they immediately turned it turned around and sold those shares so uh w- one of these is more concerning <laughs> than the other uh, so so uh, if if a ceo doesn't want to own any any shares uh in a company in anything that he receives in stock based compensation uh he sells it at the earliest possible opportunity or <laughs> something like that uh that that may be cause for concern uh but also uh there are lots of reasons why executives sell stock so uh for example buffett uh, may may just donate shares every year uh to charity and uh, so y- you have to look at the ceo's uh motivations as well when they um so if if you look at how how many shares of berkshire uh, buffett owns each year uh, uh, he he may not own more and more shares uh, si- simply because Uh, he may be giving away his shares uh, to charity so it it may look like 
look at this guy. His uh, ownership, uh, his kin in the game is coming down over time. Uh, but he just wants to do charity. The other uh, reason is diversification. So typically, a lot of uh, senior executives, they have a big part of their uh, net worth tied up uh, in in this particular company. And just from a, a financial prudence point of view, they may want to divest some of their holdings in this company and hold something else. Uh, and that is understandable because you don't want to be um, tied to a single company. You don't want your entire fortune uh, to be uh, bound to a particular company because no, no company is 100% bulletproof, right? Uh, so a reasonable amount of uh, divesting is is okay. It's understandable. Uh, the third thing that you have to look at when you uh, look at a particular CEO's uh, skin in the game or something like that is you have to figure out uh, how many of these shares the CEO actually went out and bought on the market and uh, how many of these uh, shares he, he was just given as stock-based compensation. So um, when, when a CEO goes out and buys shares in the market, uh, that is usually a strong signal that uh, the CEO thinks uh, these shares will outperform or whatever. Uh, but if he's just given the shares as stock-based compensation, then just psychologically, it, it's not the same thing. Um, so um, when, when you go and buy shares with your own money in the market, um, you, you are 100% uh, aligned with the owners because if the stock goes up, you experience upside. And if the stock goes down, you experience downside. Whereas if you're just given the shares as compensation, then it's like you get to participate in the upside, but not so much in the downside uh, because your uh, uh, those shares were given to you for free anyway, right? Uh, so that that is a, a, a certain distinction to be made there. Uh, so so th- these these are the comments that I have on uh, how to assess a, a senior executive skin in the game. Thank you. There is one other reason I think there might be no skin in the game, as you said. Um, there's a company that I am looking at in my country that has none of the executive having any holdings in the company. And that's a tobacco company. So I think sometimes these executives might not want the appearance of, because of the ethical concerns with regards to like a tobacco company. So this particular company, you know, none of the executive has any um, shareholding. Probably only one has connected party that has a few. But I think well, in this case, it's I, more I know. <laughs> Well, so so if if you followed this logic, it would seem that um, it would seem like these executives are perfectly okay to run a tobacco company and to sell tobacco and <laughs> do all these things. Uh, yeah, that's the irony. But not to own shares in the company. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, that, that, that seems uh, like a strange place to question. draw the line when it comes to ethics, mm. right? <laughs> mm. Yeah, I, I found it interesting also. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for having. Oh, this, absolutely, taking the time from for years on every Sunday for doing this for us.
and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, I'm I'm having a lot of fun too. Uh, so thank thank you all very much. Uh, so we we do have another caller actually, uh, Abhinash Paul. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Good afternoon. Uh, I am a retired chest physician. I was practicing returned to India recently, and uh, I have a relative who wishes to start a company in the U.S. after the parents of NRIs uh, in India. Okay. Every street has uh, kids who are in the U.S. or Canada, and the elderly folk are neglected here sometimes, and the kids can't keep running back and forth to look after them. So if that would uh, find a huge market in India. Now I've uh, been I'm offered. Sorry, I didn't hear the last part of that um, because you cut out. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes, I, I can hear you now. Yeah. So basically, this company, which is the, the venture of an NRI based in um, the US, wishes to look after the parents, med- their medical needs of kids in the US. Um, so sense. I've been offered uh, the job of a chief medical officer in this company while it gets established. Oh, now I'll tell, I'll tell you actual figures and uh, ask you for any value. So. Uh, the offer is uh, something like 3 lakh rupees a month, which is uh, on the lower side uh, for a chest physician of uh, 30 years experience, but uh, in equity. So how do I make a judgment whether this is a question for a forum like this? Okay. Uh, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. You, you again cut out a bit, but um, so... so your, if if I'm not mistaken, what you're asking about is uh, from from the other side of the table. So so all this while I've been talking about uh, how investors uh, can view stock based compensation, uh, whereas you you are talking about uh, how an employee should should view stock should evaluate stock based compensation. Yeah. That's right. Well, <laughs> so so um, from from an employee standpoint. Uh, it, it makes sense to um, get as much as you can in benefits um, as, as possible. And stock-based compensation is definitely uh, one uh, very powerful benefit. So I, I know a lot of people whose lives have been completely changed because they received uh, stock options. Uh, so a, a number of people I know have, uh, have been able to retire very uh, early in their lives because uh, they received some options which turned out to be very, very valuable later on. So uh, st- stock options have this this quality to them that um, if they work out, they can completely uh, catapult you into a, into a new uh, sort of level. Life-changing of, uh, level of wealth. Exactly. They can help you build life-changing amounts of wealth. And I know several people for whom uh, this this has actually happened. So people from uh, fairly ordinary uh, families and uh, ordinary backgrounds, they just joined, uh, say, Intel or Cisco or Google or one of these companies um, several decades ago. And because of the stock-based compensation, they're worth 
tens or uh, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, sim- simply because of, of the stock. So it can be very powerful. Uh, but at the same time, this is an early stage company and uh, there is no guarantee that the options that they give you will be worth anything. So if the company doesn't make it to IPO or if a company fails or something like that, uh, that it's always possible uh, that the stock options go to zero. So this is like a high risk, high reward uh, kind of bet. And um, so you, you have to assess it like that. So um, what I would say is as, as an employee, uh, you, you cannot make this assessment uh, in isolation. So what, what a lot of employees do is they, they look at their overall financial picture so um, what, what are the assets that you have and uh, how much uh, in income? So if you're a chess position or something like that, uh, yeah, you're probably in, in high demand. Uh, and so worse come worse, if, if this experiment uh, doesn't work out, uh, then you there can is an exit. Find, yeah, you, you can make an exit and find, find uh, some, some other. Um, in uh, a more conventional role as a doctor. Right, right exactly. So uh, you have to sort of uh, take a call based on uh, how much you own in assets right now and uh, whether this option is worth taking or not. So uh, one of the Bernoulli's, uh, I think it was Daniel Bernoulli, he had this wonderful paper on the utility theory of wealth. And in in that paper, he argues that um, if a poor person finds a lottery ticket on the road, uh, it might make sense for that poor person to go and sell it to a rich person. Uh, Whereas if a rich person um, finds a lottery ticket, he should keep it. Because for him, the marginal utility of that lottery ticket is much higher uh, than for a poor person. So a poor person values certainty more, whereas a rich person values the upside more. So depending on your situation, uh, how much you have in assets and so on, uh, you have to decide uh, how much you value certainty versus how much you value uh, upside and then take a call based on that. Thank you so much. That's a really wise answer. Thank you. Oh, uh, absolutely. Happy to help. Thank you. Uh, do, do we have any more callers? Okay, uh, looks like Abhinash was the last caller. So th- thank you all so much for uh, showing up and uh, for listening to me so patiently. I enjoyed it very much and I hope that uh, some of these issues that we discussed today will be useful to you as you analyze companies in, in your own investing journey. So thank you very much and uh, see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.